Okay, so um, just for fun, does anyone know the name of Peter's dad? Peter in the Bible, Peter the Apostle, the one that wrote 1 Peter. Anybody know the name of his dad? Jonah. <laughs> it's amazing. It's kind of amazing. So it's Jonah. So here we go. Last week we began with Jonah. The question was, who is God? And the answer was what? The strange God. This week we look at 1 Peter because we're doing two books simultaneously, one back to back each week. Go from one to the other. Next week we'll be back in Jonah. This is about what is the church. So what is the church? What's the answer? And then here's maybe even the more important answer or question. Does anyone really care? Why care about what the church is? I mean, church people that have been living through the past two and a half years right now want to know what is the church. Before the pandemic, before global fear, before Christian or cultural chaos, kind of the dystopian weirdness that we've experienced, before the ideological division, the civil unrest, before the toxic political environment, before the economic uncertainty, before the confusion in the church and even the irrelevancy of the church. Churched people were pretty content with 100 steps to financial freedom or how to be beautiful like Esther, how to lead like Nehemiah, or I like this one, how to be holy like Abraham, the father of faith, except the time when he, he sells off his own wife, or how to live in community like the Corinthians. Well, maybe not the Corinthians, but the Galatians. Well, not them either. You know what I mean, right? You know what I mean. Church people used to be content with the spiritual disciplines of Jesus. The nine marks of a spirit-filled, on fire, fully surrendered, fully devoted, fully committed, authentic, effective, great commission, missional, tithing, community-driven, high church, low church, old school, new school, apostolic church. Church people used to be content with the church. Worship, doing community, figuring out the mission to Waco, to the world, doing ministry, youth group, Sunday school, classes, theology, doctrine, you know, church potlucks or pot provinces, pretending on your tradition. But now we're not. Now we're not content. What is the church? So de-churched people, that's the 30% of the people that have left the church over the past two and a half years, uh, and unchurched people who have watched all this happen over the past two and a half years, they want to know, well, why do I need the church? Why should I care about the church? Everyone in the past two and a half years is wanting to know, what is the church and why should I care? So what are the answers? I mean, what are the answers? And are the answers like gripping 
like captivating. Like not only just make you curious, but make you amazed. That's the question. That's the task. That's what we're doing this morning. So please stand for the hearing of God's word. Uh, I've got something going on here with the text. I I have a literal translation that I'm going to give you. We're going to read the translation that's currently in the ESV. But you need to know that translations are also interpretations. And so I would like to give you, in the course of this sermon, the literal. Here we go. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ... To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Now, these are the Christians in modern-day Turkey. So these would be churches in Asia Minor. So about this time, there probably are about one million Jews living in the Jewish Palestine area, and there are about four million Jews living in the Roman Empire. So this is now the Roman Empire, churches in the Roman Empire, about four million of them. Uh, remember the Assyrians dragged the Israelites away? We saw that last week, right? And then that was the 10 lost tribes, literally swallowed them like Moby Dick does to Jonah. There are two tribes left, and the Babylonians come in in 537, level Jerusalem, level the temple, and then take the other two away. So the Jewish race is scattered throughout all over the Roman Empire. All right, to those elect exiles of the dispersion, here we go. According to, or on the basis of, the foreknowledge of God the Father, uh, in or by the sanctification of the Spirit, for or in or united to, now here's my translation. You can see what's up there, but here's the literal translation. For or into the obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? May the grace and peace be multiplied to you. Then we're going to look at the whole, this is the whole purpose of the book. So if Peter was to say, what's the mission of 1 Peter? If you went up to him and said, what do you want, 1 Peter, what do you want your words to do to the churches? What do you want your words to do to Christians? He would say, here it is. Uh, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Lord, we thank you that you, we thank you that this is your word and we ask that you would shine on the page and would you right now fill us with your spirit and demonstrate the surpassing greatness of the power of God to open our minds, give realness to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what is the church? Why should you care? So look at this first part. If we could put that back up, Stephen, if you wouldn't mind. Verse one, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is all Peter has to say about himself. It's incredible because Paul never gets to say this. Paul never gets to say, hey man, apostle of Jesus Christ. He has to constantly defend himself. He has churches that he's even planted where they're saying, hey man, can we have Apollos instead of you? Can we have Tim Keller instead of you? Right? Paul dealt with that all the time. Peter didn't. Peter's just basically, you know who I am. Apostle of Jesus Christ, Peter. Nowhere in the Bible too, do you see that apostle of Jesus Christ? Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say teacher of Jesus Christ or church planter of Jesus Christ, 
or evangelist of Jesus Christ, or elder or deacon of Jesus Christ, or prophet or evangelist of Jesus Christ. The only time Jesus is attached to a a person or a function in the church is apostle. Because these guys have been with Jesus. These guys saw him rise. These guys, Jesus says, you're going to start the church. We call that original authority. We don't call it, it's not derivative authority, secondary authority, kind of what we do here, church leaders in the churches now in the world. It's called original authority, source authority. Jesus says, you will start the church. And Jesus says to them, I will give you my words, and you will write them down. Divine revelation. So what does all this mean? I mean, why is this important? It means this, that Peter and all the apostles are a one-of-a-kind divine agent. So whatever the church is, whatever we're going to find out that the church is, the apostles are only the blues brothers in it. They're the only ones on a mission from God. The only ones. So why should you care? Because this is absolutely amazingly good news. Here's the first good news. You can all relax. We can all relax. We can be free. In other words, you're not a blues brother. right? Uh, you're not on a mission from God. You don't have, and I don't have, this divine agent reality. You and I, what, what this means is that we don't have to carry around this pressure to be special. You don't have to carry on a pressure to be great. You are absolutely free. You can relax. You are free to be a normal, ordinary, unspectacular Christian. And that's breathtaking. The pressure's off. So it also means this. You're not that big a deal. I'm not that big a deal. It also means this, that you can stop taking yourself so seriously. I mean, who's taking themselves so seriously? Who's such a big deal today in our culture? No, you're not. You're not that big a deal. You're not that special. You are absolutely free to laugh at yourself. In other words, I think the gauge today of whether someone is a healthy human being or has a healthy culture, if it, if it laughs at itself. Does anyone laugh at themselves today? You can be the most unselfconscious person in the room. Completely self-forgetting. You can relax. You're okay. You don't have to think about yourself. And you don't have to think about what other people think about you. You can be absolutely, you don't have this need to be special. You don't have this need to be important. You're absolutely okay. You're fine. Peter carried all that for you. He had all the pressure. And so did the other 12. People who need to be special are not capable of loving. 
you are free to love. If Peter and the apostles were the only apostles of Jesus Christ, the health of the church would go up exponentially right now. The health of worship, the health of community, the health of mission, the health of the teaching, the health of being relevant, our relationship to the culture, all of that would immediately change. It would immediately go up. Here's the second thing. If What's so amazing about apostle of Jesus Christ is that you can be brave right now, absolutely brave. I want you to see the churches. So let's put the churches up there. You see them? Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Uh, they are struggling right now. When Peter is writing this, they are struggling. Sinking's probably a better word. Uh, they have lots of bad stuff coming at them from the culture, which triggers a lot of bad stuff in them that's coming out of their own hearts. And so they are in the middle of a storm, in the middle of the ocean. They're floating. They're barely keeping their heads above water. And the crazy thing that's happening in all these churches is the church leaders in these churches, while they're seeing everyone struggle, everybody sinking, everybody barely keeping their head above the water, the church leaders are handing out anchors. Here you go. And so what does God do? This is what's amazing. It's so startling. It's absolutely amazing, and it's such good news, because what does God do? How does God help these Christians? How does God help churches that are sinking? How does he say, here, I want to reach you. I want to renew you. I want to love you. I want to encourage you. I want to strengthen you. I want to put you on mission. I want you to know that you're okay. And what does God do? It's breathtaking. Do you see what he does? What does he do? I wrote some things down here. I know, um, listen, I have a tendency. My wife says, listen, honey, you have a tendency to like overdo things. <sighs> it just hurts my soul. So I'll try not to like overdo things, but what does God do? Does he send high church liturgy to them? Does he send the spiritual disciplines of Jesus to them? Does he send a celebrity pastor to them? Does he send, and I know this will offend some of you, does he send a social justice plan to take over Rome to them? So let me offend the other side. Does he send a national church to them? Does he send nine marks of the church to them? What does he do? He sends an apostle to them. But don't miss this. He doesn't send Peter in person. He sends Peter's apostolic message. This is absolutely breathtaking. This is absolutely game-changing. This is absolutely revolutionary. When God says, I want to help you, I want to heal you, I want you to know you're loved, I want you to be put back together again, I want to keep you from sinking, what does he do? He sends words. He sends a message. This is so amazing. This is absolutely strange. So strange. Like, 
It's so strange that if you're a pastor, this kind of stuff gets you fired. Strange. This is off your rocker strange. God, how are you going to help these sinking Christians and the sinking church and this culture and everything that's going on? God, what are you going to do with all the chaos and the confusion? God, how are you going to help Christian leaders and moms and kids and children and schools? How are you going to do it? And God says, I'm going to send a message. I'm going to send words. And just so we're absolutely clear, Paul wants to, I mean, Peter wants to be absolutely clear. What are those words? Because it's not just any words. It's not 100 steps to financial freedom. It's not how to have a better marriage. It's not how to be an authentic Christian. I have written briefly to you, exhorting, declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm means to be brave. Be brave. Be brave. Be brave. The message of the true grace of God heals you and heals churches. The message of the true grace of God reaches you and reaches churches. The message of the true grace of God puts you back together, your home back together, marriages back together, children back together, schools back together, work back together, cultures back together, ideological realities back together. The true grace of God does this. That's amazing. Be brave. Stand firm in it. Not just for your sake. And not just for your marriage's sake. And not just for your children's sake. And not just for the church's sake. But for the world's sake. No more anchors. Be brave. What is the church? We still haven't answered that, I know. So why should I care? Let's move to that. Let's keep going with verse one. We're cruising. We're still in verse one. Here we go. Two, now here comes the answer to what the church is. Two, right? To those, here comes the church. You can go back to verse one. To those, here's the church. Here it is. Those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Peter the apostle says to the church, the church is elect exiles in the dispersion. Aren't you glad Peter is so clear on what the church is? Got it, Peter. Elect exiles in the dispersion. What is that? What is the church? Let's break it down just a bit. I'm convinced, though, that Peter's just as strange as Jonah, so these two are a very, very good match. Break it down. When you look at elect, see that word elect? That literally means chosen. It literally means recipients of God's grace. So this is breathtaking. It means this, the graced. What's the, what's the elect? Well, what's the church? The graced. So you are graced. What is the church? It's the graced. The recipients of God's grace. So what this means is that we don't activate our relationship with God. You are graced. You don't activate the Christian life. You are graced. You don't change the culture 
you are graced. You don't fix your marriage, you are graced. You learn to parent your children by being graced. The church is the graced. You don't need to be special. You are graced. Let's keep going. Exiles of the dispersion means where the grace come from. So where did the grace come from? The dispersion. So this is images, obviously, right? This is metaphorical. He's trying to paint a world that uh, Jewish Christians know and Jewish churches know and the Roman Empire Christians and the Roman Empire churches know. The grace come from very dark places like Assyria and Nineveh. They come from very dark places like Babylon and under very dark leaders like Nebuchadnezzar and also places like Rome, which they're currently looking. The grace come from these places. They come from places like Sweden and dark places like India and America. They come from all over the world is what's being said. So why should you care about where the grace come from? The answer is because Peter is giving you amazing news about the church, incredible news about the church. The church is not the church versus the culture. The relationship of the church is not this against the culture reality. As Mark said, it's not an us versus them dynamic. When you're thinking about the church, you shouldn't be thinking of us versus them. You shouldn't because the church is coming out of them, out of dark places. It's not the church versus the state or the church versus the culture. So we need to form a holy huddle and it's like separate from everybody and don't get near them because you're going to get stained. Oh, no, you're already stained. You remember that movie? What was that? That End Night Shalomon movie. What was it? The Village. Yes, remember the bad color? Nobody could look at red because they all had it out there in the world. So they formed this village where the color of red, violence, blood wouldn't come in. So the forbidden color, there couldn't be red. If you saw something red, people would freak out. They'd bury it and cover it. And then all of a sudden they realized the red wasn't out there that it needed to separate from. The red was in their own heart. The relationship between the church and culture is not verses. So if it's verses, what you end up doing is you either, oh no, separate, or oh no, let's fight. Let's be special. Let's be toxic. Let's be stupid. I'm so glad none of that's going on. Peter is not just writing to Jewish Christians. He's writing to Christians in all of these places. The church is coming out of these places. Mark Cho says it this way, I am a world, a country, a region in strife. I am lost, conflict, sickness, sadness, sin. These are the constants in this, our human condition. Absolutely. So what is the church? Here it comes. You ready for an answer? Here it is. The church is the community of the graced. The church is the community of the graced from all kinds of dark places. What is the church? It's the community of the graced. What does that mean? We just looked at what it means. It means you're graced. 
And we're going to get into a little more detail here in a second, but this is so important because the community or the church is not the community of ending sin. If you make the church the community of ending sin, can you imagine? This is what it would be like. It would be like, Redeemer, Jeff, what's your mission statement? What's your vision? My mission statement and my vision is to end lying. Redeemer's vision is to end lying in the world. You know what I'm doing? I'm handing out anchors. Hope you survive. The church is the community of the graced. What does this mean? How significant is this? It means the church is not the community of the state. And it's not the community of race. And it's not the community of gender. And it's not the community of ideological preferences. Nor musical preferences. Nor any kind of preferences. It's the community of the graced from all kinds of dark places. What is the church? Well, now you know. The community of the graced. It's kind of catchy. I think you remember it. From all kinds of dark places, good. But why should you care? Here's the real reason, right? Is it captivating enough to actually make us care? Can what the church is actually reach us? Can what the church is, the significance of it, actually make me energized to be a part of the church of the graced? It's incredibly hard for all of us, I think, for many of us, to not hate dark places, dark cultures, isn't it? I mean, we saw how Jonah is having a hard time with Nineveh right now, right? We're going to get back into that story. Nineveh is a dark place, a series of dark place. He hates them. And I don't even want to get into like, you know, the whole debate of hate the sin, not the person. I don't know how to do that. Do you know how to do that? Because if you do, please tell me how that happens. So it's hard not to hate this reality. Watch what God says. To those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. Here we go. According to. Now according to means the basis, the source, the power behind it all. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, when you're thinking foreknowledge, you immediately think information and knowledge. I know, I know. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible thinks of knowledge as like the deepest intimacy possible. It's actually a word used for sexual intimacy. So, you know, Adam knew Eve, that kind of thing. And so this is not about God looking down and having this prior information about something. This is about God having a prior love for something. And here's what's so breathtaking about it. This is a prior love on unlovely people. And so what this means is that God is saying to you right now, he's saying it to everyone in this room right now, you are graced not because you are lovely, because you are not lovely. You are graced because he loves you. God is saying to you right now, I've always loved you. 
always. Whenever you came into my mind and my heart and I saw the unloveliness that is you and will be you, I loved you. You are loved with a prior love and always loved while being unlovely. So you know what that means? You're now free to love the unlovely. So I don't even want to get into the debate of that other thing. I just want to acknowledge they're unlovely. Yep. I'm unlovely and God loves me. I guess I'm now free to love the unlovely. All right, let's keep going. This is why you should care. Now, many of us struggle, though, with being unlovely because you are. You struggle with it. Everyone struggles with feeling unlovely. Everyone struggles with being unlovely because we are. So you know you're an Assyrian. You know you come from Babylon. You know you have a Nebuchadnezzar living inside of you. You know it. You feel it. And you struggle. You struggle with feeling so unlovely. God says to those who are the elect exiles or the dispersion and all those places, according to, we just looked at the foreknowledge of God the Father. Here comes the second part. By the sanctification of the Spirit. Not in, by. It's an end preposition. You can either make it in or you can either make it by. I choose to make it by. What does that mean? God is saying to you right now, you are not grace because you are lovely, because you're not. You are grace because my spirit makes you lovely. This is absolutely breathtaking because what sanctification in the spirit means is that the spirit actually comes in and goes into what's called the realm of the dead, Sheol, the underworld, Hades, goes in and takes you out, transfers you out of the kingdom of the dead and brings you into the kingdom of life and light, blinding light. It's the same thing when Jesus says, Look, I'm making all things new. You just got transferred, Christian, from the zombie apocalypse to the land of the living. You just became, in your person even, now lovely, even though you don't feel it. Amazing. And you haven't decided to be holy at all. God is saying to you right now, you're not grace because you're lovely because you're not. You're grace because my spirit makes you lovely. All right. Last one. Some of you still think you activate God. I know who you are because I do. You still think you activate the Christian life. You still think you activate God's love. You activate God to be working in the world. You activate God to be working in the culture. You activate God to revive the church. You activate your marriage. You activate your children. You activate community. You activate worship. You activate mission. You are a self-activator. I know you because I'm one of those. God says to those who are elect exiles, the graced, and all those places, according to, on the basis of, we just saw prior love, by power of the Holy Spirit, saw that, here we go. 
We need my translation. Fantastic. In or united to the obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. The obedience and sprinkling of blood. Do you see that? That's a well-known phrase throughout all the Bible. Well-known phrase in the Old Testament. In fact, once upon a time ago, Moses used those words. And in Exodus, they used these exact words, obedience to the sprinkling of blood, into this relationship that's being established with God and Israel. And it goes something like this. Moses says to Israel, he says to them all, because he's the divine agent, they're not. He says, listen, here are all, quote, all the words of the Lord and all the rules I've given to you. So far, so good. Great. This is the law of God. This is the word of God. These are the demands of God. These are the conditions of God. Obedience. Obedience. The people respond. Here's where things go a little crazy. It's like the car, you're driving, and the wheels come off, literally. He says, this is what the people say. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. We are able, we are capable, we are self-activators, we can do it. What does Moses do? He takes blood from some animals and he sprinkles it on their obedience. You better keep it. So what happens next? Does anyone know their Israel history? It's really interesting. Like the very next day probably or the very next second day probably, you know what happens? The golden calf. They couldn't even keep their obedience for a day. God is saying to you, you are not graced because you're lovely, because you're not. You are graced not because of your obedience, but because of his. It's not about your activation. It's about his activation. It's not about your works. It's about his works. It's not about your performance. It's about his performance. It's not about your doing and your sincerity. It's about his doing and his sincerity. It's not about your loving God. It's about his loving God. It's not about your surrendering. It's about his surrendering. It's not about him trusting God in suffering in difficult times. You trusting God in difficult times. It's about him trusting God in difficult times. God says to you, you're not graced because of your obedience. You are graced because he became your disobedience. He sprinkled his blood. This is amazing. This is the true grace of God. Be brave. Stand firm in it. If you do, you'll be healthy. And maybe not the way you think health is, but you'll be healthy. If we do as a church, we'll be healthy. Maybe not in the way everybody else thinks of health, but we'll be healthy. So what is the church? The church, what is the church? Here it is, the community of the graced. 
from all kinds of dark places. Welcome to the church. Let's pray.